Greetings, everybody. Thank you for logging on today. I have got my sister in Christ, uh, Patty, with us today. And Patty has an amazing story of redemption. But not only has she got an amazing story of redemption, she's got a story that's going across the nation, helping to change life. So as some of you may or may not know, this is Suicide Awareness Month. And Patty has, it's very close to her because she has had this happen with her very own son, Connor. And she took the pain and used that to catapult her into her destiny of helping lives. So, Patty, welcome to the broadcast this morning. Thank you for being on here with me. Uh, it's a pleasure. A pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Now, anytime I can talk about suicide prevention and what God is doing, I, I definitely want to do that. Well, I know that you um, you talk about this very openly and you talk about it in the lives of the teens because how old was Connor whenever he transitioned? He, he had just turned 17. Um, he had been struggling with depression and uh, just really Connor's struggles began at a very young age. Uh, he um, failed the second grade by one point and through his whole life he battled uh, within himself, never believed in himself, and and always questioned, always felt insecure about his abilities, and and it just really started a cycle of defeat for him, and and so, um, but I when he really hit teenage years, uh, it, he always wanted to be accepted by his friends because that was a very part uh, important part of his life, as most all teenagers are. Uh, it's like when the kids hit middle school, that's all they think about is their friends, you know. So, uh, but Connor had just really gotten to where he was feeling really depressed. And uh, I had began taking him to uh, uh, counseling. And, uh, you know, the counselor, and he would just love the counselor I was taking him to. And, and uh, one day, the last appointment we had with the counselor, the counselor said to me, he said, Miss Harrington Connor's great. He's doing great. He's doing great. And so I just thought, well, okay, I guess, you know, there's no point in going back. And that was pretty much our agreement, you know. And uh, anyway, so uh, about three weeks later, I walked in my house and, and found that my son had hung himself. Um, you know, I came home from work one day and thinking I was going to cook dinner for my son. I'd gone to the grocery store and uh, just, you know, thinking about what I was going to cook. And he was sitting there at home waiting. And so when I came in, I called his name out. Nothing didn't get an answer. I called his name again. And, and um, uh, Connor, I'm home. And I was unloading the groceries, putting them away and um, called out his name again and nothing and I thought hmm, that's strange and his phone was sitting in the chair in the living room so I knew he was there because wherever his phone was there's that's where he was and so uh, after I put the groceries away I walked in his room and when I walked in his room I caught him in my peripheral vision I saw in something in the closet and automatically I thought my son was a prankster and he always enjoyed scaring me jumping out and all that kind of stuff and doing fun. He always was doing funny things, you know, and, and making me laugh and he was so precious. And uh, so anyway, I was thinking he was about to jump out. And when I turned to the left, I looked and I saw that he'd hung himself. 
And uh, I can't even, words cannot even describe uh, the sorrow, the grief, the despair. Uh, I hit the fight or flight mode at that point, screaming to the top of my lungs, desperately trying to get my son down, desperately trying to save his life. I ran into the kitchen to get a knife and it, I mean, just my, I, I was in such uh, a mode uh, of, I, I, I can't even explain it. It's so hard to even talk about it today to, you know, because it was so, uh, it was so heartbreaking. And I've kept trying to do CPR on him, you know, and somehow don't even know how I did it. It's amazing how the human body when you get in that fight or flight mode and somehow I don't even remember calling the police, calling the 911 number and talking to the the, uh, lady on the other end, kept me on the line the whole entire time talking to me. I'm screaming at her, screaming at, you know, and I'm trying to do CPR on him. And finally the paramedics get there and, you know, and they came in and I walked out of the room and, course i'm i'm a radical prayer warrior anyway so i'm out there and i'm screaming i'm praying i'm crying out to god decreeing and declaring he shall live and not die and declare the works of the lord and i'm praying i'm pulling on everything i've learned from scripture everything i could possibly think of to pray and i'm just saying god you can save him lord you can deliver him and and i just kept praying and praying and finally they came out with him and they you know i got in the car and followed them to the hospital and and anyway, when we got to the hospital, we were there uh, probably 45 minutes, and they tried they desperately tried to resuscitate him, but it was too late. He had he he was gone, and uh, you know uh, we were standing in this little room waiting for the doctor to come in, and and the doctor just you know came into the room and says you know we're so sorry we've done everything that we know to do and. You know, we're so sorry, but Connor just didn't make it. And I was just like in another world. I thought, Lord, how could this happen? I, I don't even know. And, and so that day we left the hospital, went back uh, to my house. And you know how everybody comes when something happens and all the food and everything. And honestly, I, I just I, I just kept walking around, uh, you know, the whole night just like, God, how can I? Even, uh, I, I just couldn't even process. I kept walking around with his shirt, and I was just such trauma. I, I just was numb. My, my whole body was numb. My mind, I couldn't think. I, I just, I don't, it was just numbness, shock, total shock. And on the way to the hospital, I had a very interesting thing happen to me. Uh, but I was, and I shook my head, and I was like, God, what is that? And I remember uh, just clearly, uh, God, I heard God say it, talking about the seed, that a seed, that Connor was going to be, that he was a seed in the ground, that his life is seed. Sometimes a seed must die. You know, sometimes a seed, you know, that uh, when I was going across the bridge, I heard those words and I was shaking my head like, Lord, what is that? And and it was so interesting because I kept thinking, why, why would you even say that to me? Why would you even? And, and I knew the voice of God. I knew because I've been a prayer warrior for a long time. I knew God uh, and I knew when God was speaking to me. And, and later on that night after everyone was at my house, you know, for hours on end and when they left, 
about midnight, I got a knock on the door from a uh, evangelist friend I hadn't seen in a long time. And he says, Sister Patty, he said, God sent me over here with a message for you. And I said, okay. And he came in, he sat down. He said, you don't know this. He said, but many years ago, I lost a child. And he said, the Lord said to me, a seed sometimes has to die. And, and, and with a because it, it, God doesn't want that to happen. He didn't want Connor to take his life, but God already knew because he knows everything from the foundations of the world. He knows everything. He knows every choice we're going to make. He knows everything that we're going to do. He knows everything about our lives. He knows when we're going to be born. He knows when we're going to die. So he knew the choice that Connor would make. He knew that. He didn't want Connor to do that. You know, when Connor right. was young, when he was little, he would always say to me, Mom, when I grow up, I'm going to be a missionary and travel all over the world. I can remember when I would take him to church and, and he just, he loved the Lord. He was so precious. He was such a precious child. And, 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 you know, he was stamped. God had a purpose and a plan for his life. But there, when the enemy knew that, and the enemy had a purpose and a plan, and that was to bring destruction, to kill, steal, and destroy, according to right. John. 10. So when God, this man came into my kitchen that night, I was just in complete awe. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was like, I had not told that. I mean, I told one pastor friend of mine that was at the hospital, which they had no connection. There's no way that this guy could have known this. So I knew by that. You know, God didn't want that to happen, but he knew that that seed would have to be planted into the ground for a great harvest. Because, you know, the, uh, the seed time and harvest, everything is a seed. When a seed falls to the ground, it dies. When it springs forth, it brings forth much fruit. And so, you know, with that, he said what God wants us to do is he wants us to de dedicate this seed into the ground, to dedicate this seed for a great harvest of souls, a younger generation, uh, and, and that Connor, through his death, that lives will be saved and transformed. And and so we all <clears throat> encircled around my my in my kitchen, and we did communion, and he prayed, and we dedicated Connor unto the Lord, and that seed for our seed time of harvest to come forth, and I, you know, at the time I, I, I was in another world. I, I understood it, but I didn't understand. It. I had a lot of questions. God, how could this be? What is this? How can? And I, in all of it, I was trying to process through. But I was also like, I understood to a certain degree what the word says, and, but I, I really had to get alone with the Lord. Uh, but after that, we prayed, and I remember standing. There, as we were doing communion, my mother died when I was uh, 18 years old. And, and I remember as we finished communion, I just heard so clearly, it was the strangest thing, I heard so clearly my mother say to my son, Connor, welcome to heaven. I'm your grandmother. Mm. And I just and I just weeped and tears came, which is flowing down my eyes and I, I, my face. And I was just... I couldn't believe what I had been experiencing, you know, so with that, you know, I ended up um, uh, just the whole process of the funeral, uh, just there was this child, this young girl that uh, I told the, the, the lady that and the two people that were doing the funeral, I said, you know, I want you to ask if there's any person 
in, in the service that is contemplating suicide to please ask them and, and share with them you know, that Jesus loves you, that suicide is never the answer. And there was a young girl that was in Connor's class that came to the funeral and she was sitting there and she leaned over and told her friend, I've been thinking about taking my life. And her life was saved that day in that funeral service because of Connor, that his life was not for in vain, that God, that seed was already beginning to produce fruit and so I began to kind of see things from a different perspective. I got that testimony. And then, you know, you know I, after the funeral, uh, you know, my oldest son said, Mom, you know, pack your stuff. You know, we are headed to Tennessee. My other son, Garrett, was headed to Ole Miss. My other son in Nashville was getting married. And then he said, Mom, just come on to Nashville with me. And I stayed there for a month with him. And I just kept feeling like I needed to get alone with the Lord and lock myself in the cabin. And I know, you know, sometimes we just have to do that, you know, to get, a, get, get along with the Lord and find out, okay, God, okay, all this chaos and confusion and all this stuff and all this heartbreak, all this trauma, all these things, God, you know, and sometimes we just come to the end of ourselves and complete brokenness and find ourselves at the end of our feeling like life how could it even go get any worse how could anything like this ever you know happen and and so uh with that that's when i ended up finding i found a cabin in west tennessee on the piney river on a little dirt road uh, i kept looking on craigslist and just thinking i needed to find a place i could get along with the lord and, and i found uh, a little cabin on a 40-foot bluff on the uh, piney river and I told the guy that owned it, I said, well, I can't think past six months, but I'll rent this thing for six months if you'll let me have it for six months. And of course he knew what I had gone through. I shared with him and, and I ended up, and really that cabin, that time at that cabin really uh, changed my life. It really, it really changed my life because I, I just sought the Lord. I, I, I cried out to God. I mean, I stayed a lot at the cabin and, you know, just at night, um, you know, just working through the process of grief and uh, the trauma. You know, I would like even when I was like sometimes I'd be driving down the road and, and uh, I, I would just scream out like those flashes would come in my mind of Connor in that closet of what I had to endure. And I never will forget, I was in Murfreesboro, I went to Jeff Jansen's church. And this is before I actually started going to that church and before I even moved to Murfreesboro. And I'd gone uh, to a service there and there was this uh, visiting pastor, I can't even remember his name. And he said, anybody needs prayer, come up here and, and you know we'll pray for you. And I went up there and shared with him what was happening to me. And he looked at me, he said, ma'am, he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, you are one person I will never forget as long as I live on the face of this earth. He said, but I'm going to tell you how you can overcome that. Hmm. He said, Every time that flash comes to your face, into your mind, that trauma, Every time, yell out the name of Jesus. Yeah. Just 
speak out the name of Jesus. And I promise you, after that day, when I would just, when that would happen, I would just yell, Jesus, Jesus. And it was just like, and honestly, through that process, God healed my mind. The trauma in my mind completely healed my mind to where I can talk about it today. I could even go into deep, but it doesn't take root. It doesn't go deep right. in my spirit. It doesn't go deep in because God healed heal the wound of my soul. He healed me and it, it, it gave me uh, the what I needed to process through because he knew what he was going to do in the future with yeah. fly and, and everything that he was going to um, do in my life. And little did I know uh, the journey that God would take me on. So, you know, sometimes uh, life has a twist and turns and we navigate through that process. And, and, you know, me being a businesswoman, and of course I had a prayer room in my house, intercessor, love Jesus, going to church, raising my children up in church, you know, just living life. And, you know, one day my world changed. I went from this life to this life. It's, I had a completely 180. One day I was living my life this way, and one day I was I left Mississippi. I moved to Tennessee. All my friends, all my life, and everything that I knew in Mississippi was gone. Everything was gone. And really, to be honest with you, I remember this was so crazy because I remember sitting at that cabin when I first got at this cabin, and I was on Facebook one day, and I just started deleting every friend in Mississippi. It was like I was deleting everybody off of Facebook that I knew just about. I was like, okay, that life is over. I was just shutting everything from the past down because I didn't realize that. I mean, I mean, I was, I was, knew I was in deep trauma, but it's like I just wanted to close the door to everything that had happened in Mississippi. But I still I had to go through the healing process within that six months in that cabin. And there were times that, um, anyway, that they were just really very difficult. And so I'm sorry, I just, uh, if you want to ask me a question? No, 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 Patty, I'm glad that you shared um, to that level because it is, you know, people would be, I can't even famine. I can't wrap my brain around it. I have had trauma situations with, you know, my kids, well, specifically my youngest son, you know, due to mental illness and things like that. But I'll tell you, I, I met you right after you came out of the cabin. Yes. And so that's when I met you. And, you know, God spoke to me about you. And I knew that there was a powerful anointing on your life. And I'm so grateful that what the enemy meant for harm. God turned around for good because the enemy meant that thing to destroy you, to push you down, to shut you up, to, to take away your prayer life, to stop things in the spirit realm. Because, you know, here we are, we're serving the Lord and something like this happens and we're like, why God? Why? You know, what, what is going on? Is this ever going to change? And and yeah. so I understand the dynamics behind it, but you did the right thing. Yes. You can't blame God, as so many people do in that circumstances, turn their back on the only one that can heal and restore them. That's and so, you know, cabin experiences, and as y'all can see right now, look where I'm at, okay? <laughs> Patty knows why I'm here. Uh, I'm here, you know, the same thing, to seek God and to, to overcome some areas and so forth. We have to get alone. We have to get our healing because there's so much chatter. You know, there's the voice of our flesh, the voice, you know, that speaks from that trauma, that pain from our mind and our will and our emotions, rehearsing all of that pain. And yet there's the voice of the spiritual realm. And if you're not turned in, tuned in to the Holy Spirit, you will listen to the wrong spirit. 
Yes, and and that, that will, that's the one she was talking about in John 10, 10 becomes this kill, still destroy. And so, you know, right now uh, we have an increase of 800% of suicide in, in this year. And it's heartbreaking because yes. it is such a thing that comes in just like that. Um, I have personally, literally one time was driving down the interstate and had that fleeting thought, just, just drive off the ramp. No one cares. Right. You know? And I'm like, Satan, get behind me. You know, I'm going to tell you what, somebody cares. And if anybody else doesn't care, the Lord cares. My life is valuable. So it can come in that quick. And so how did you um, deal with the grieving process other than going to the cabin and all of that? Because I know you've become a mouthpiece. Uh, mm -hmm. And so going from the point of the brokenness in the cabin, allowing God to heal you from the trauma, and now... Here you are speaking across the nation in school about the empty chair. Let's talk a little bit about the empty chair and how you got there. Yeah, uh, it's very interesting. Um, yeah, because I, I, I was praying and, and uh, you know, in the cabin and, and through that whole process. And even one night, I'll be, I, I became suicidal myself one night at that cabin. I mean, I was so broken that one, at one point in that cabin through that whole process that I, I just, I can't, it's too much to bear God. I can't do it. I can't do it. But through during that whole process, but God, in his mercy and his grace, I came through that difficult time, but just through the process of healing and just crying out, expressing, you know, calling on God, God help me. I need you. How do I come through this? But God, you know, one of the things I want to share is in that cabin, God gave me a supernatural experience about my son because I had led my son to the Lord. Connor loved Jesus. I, I mean, I led him to the Lord. I know. I mean, we prayed together. I mean, he would often, you know, lay his head on my lap and, and we would, you know, talk and I'd scratch his head and well, I would end up praying with him. And it was just a beautiful thing. And he loved the Lord, but he just really struggled. And, and, you know, and one of the things that I questioned as a Christian, how can this be when I led my son to the Lord? I know that my son loved the Lord. I, I raised my children up in church and you know and I always heard that those that take the life don't make it to heaven and I just kept crying out to God God you got to give me something and the Lord truly met me about four o'clock one morning I had a dream slash vision I knew everything that was happening it was like I was watching a movie screen almost it was like it was I could see it it was like I knew I was dreaming I knew I was awake I knew it's I can't explain it and he's the Lord said to me, I'm going to allow you to see Connor one more time. Mm -hmm. And Connor comes to the doorway in his glorified body. And it's just the glory of God is all over him. It's just a translucent look at just peace emanating from his body was just his whole being. And, and, and he didn't say anything with his mouth, but his eyes spoke to me and his eyes said, mom, I'm okay. I'm with the Lord. And after that, I was darting up and down looking at him trying everything within my might to burn that image in my mind because I knew that I'd never be able to see my son again. I felt as though I was physically looking at my child. And anyway, God said to me after that, he said, Patty, he said, don't worry or fret about Connor anymore. I've got Connor be at peace. And it was just like after that, I got up that morning and I, I, I just felt 
like I had physically seen my son and I got up and I was making some coffee and I walked in there and at, when, after I would drink my coffee, I was looking, I was looking for something. I thought, you know what? I'm going to, I bet it's in that box, those two boxes that I had not unpacked. And I started unpacking these boxes and reached out and found an old digital recorder that I used to use in my car when I had my company. And I said, I wonder what happened to that thing. And it had three messages on it. And I just thought, well, I'll, and I just pushed, started to push delete to delete the messages because I figured it had to do with my stuff, you know, with my company. And I heard God say, do not delete that. Listen to it. I pushed play. It was Connor. And he said, Mom, I love you, Mom. I love you. Now, I had no idea because I use this thing in my business every single day in my car. I don't know when he recorded it. It had to have been sometime when I was in the grocery store or something. I don't know. But God allowed me to see him, but he also allowed me to hear him. Yeah. And I knew beyond any shadow of a doubt, there's one thing that I know, that the second that I take my last breath on this earth, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Lord. So I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, that gave me the hope the the what I needed within my spirit to really move forward and to know that there's nothing I can do to change the past. I can't change Connor's what choice. I can't bring him back. I can't I can't change the past. Yesterday is dead and gone. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't live in the past. I can't stay right. in the past because yeah. the past will bring destruction in your mind. The past will keep you bound. The past will keep you depressed. The past right. will keep you oppressed. The past will keep you in bondage. And so I had to move from the past into the present. And God began to speak to me. He said, it one day dropped a firefly into my spirit. He said, I want you to build this ministry on three foundational stones, purity, humility and honor and within the three foundational stones i stand as jesus the firefly the light in the darkness and you're my hands and feet to reach the younger generation and so with that you know we started doing a prayer meeting at christ church with a bunch of intercessors we started going up there meeting and praying and contending for the younger generation i mean yeah. we, sometimes i would have anywhere from I mean, it would be sometimes five people to sometimes, you know, we even had sometimes up to 20. But it was just amazing. But we were just contending for the school, for those students in that region, just really praying into the younger generation for God's deliverance for the schools and for the children, for yeah. the you know, for those struggling with suicides, there was sometimes we would just get in the spirit and God would just give us names and we would just start praying against that, you know, the, the spirit of suicide, trying, trying to come in and take these kids out. And, you know, with that, you know, I had someone come in and give me a prophetic word that God was going to move me back to the state of Mississippi. And then also that God was going to give me governmental favor. And, and I was like, you know, when God gives you a word and you're looking at those people like, okay, yeah, okay, I don't think so. Or, you know, you just sit there. So I put it on the shelf and, and never thought about it again, honestly, until a friend of mine called me from Mississippi talking to me about, and I was sharing what I was doing, you know, and what God had spoken. And he said, I'm going to get you connected to the governor of Mississippi, the, uh, he and his wife, uh, Deborah. And I said, okay. And so he, he set up a meeting uh, to, for me to meet with uh, the governor's wife. 
and it was just so amazing. Uh, you know, they ended up writing a letter of endorsement for me to go into the schools. And so oh, yeah. with that, I began traveling, uh, spoken, I can't tell you, spoken to thousands of young people burning up the roads all over, you know, pouring my heart out, sharing the story of the empty chair. God said to me, I want you to share your story of the empty chair and give young people a real picture of the aftermath of suicide. Yes. And so I began doing a traveling, speaking all over with young people. And, and, and it was just so heartbreaking what I would encounter. And that's really kind of what started me on a journey with Pray Mississippi uh, and really just praying for the youth of the nation because I would experience young kids that would come up to me, Maggie, I'm transgender. I'm, I'm, I've been raped by my mother's husband. I've been molested by my brother. I have been, you know, I don't have any food in my house. I, I, I'm, I'm cutting suicide, cutting arms, like just all over legs. I'm a cutter. I'm a cutter. Just, I mean, bound up children. I mean, it's just like I, I middle school students, uh, suicide is uh, tripled in uh, middle school students since 2007. I mean, we have an epidemic. We have got a problem here that it's we have got to yes not to interrupt you but it's the second leading cause of death among children yes. of that age of the age 10 to 14 and number one in california so this yes. is something this is why what you're doing is so valuable and you know we talked a few minutes before yes. and we're both women of god and you know we love the lord and the church has got to prepare and talk about this. That's why we're doing this broadcast. Some of you no, all just logged on and you're going, oh my gosh, you know, she's talking about her son's suicide. Yes. I'm actually going to be talking with another friend who lost her daughter to suicide. And, and a couple weeks ago, I talked to my friend, uh, Lisa, who lost her mother to suicide. This is serious business, guys. Serious. And we need to take it serious. And during Suicide Awareness Month, research and go back and listen to some of Patty's stuff because she's speaking all over. And this Pray Mississippi is powerful. I'm sorry, sister. I interrupted you, but I want people. Well, oh, no, that's okay. Very well, here's the thing. Well, you know, Williamson County is the highest suicidal suicide yes, in the state yeah. of Tennessee. But here's the thing: a lot of people think, "Oh, well, that would never happen to me." All oh, that would never. But I, in my journey, I have I have seen the rich. I have seen the poor. I've seen black. Yeah. I've seen black. I've seen every no discrimination. Discriminate. It does not have any socioeconomic status. Right. It can. And the thing about it is, is when we don't talk about it, one of the biggest misconceptions that I have seen throughout my whole process is that there is such a fear associated with it. Because even a lot of times parents, what will happen, well, I don't really want to call. I don't really, you know, I know that my child needs help. I know that, you know, I really need to reach out. But, you know, there's such a fear. If I talk about it, if I bring it up to my child, it's going to cause that child to take their lives. Statistics show when you talk about it, when you confronted head on lives are saved and that's a and you know it's like when you expose the enemy what happens freedom comes like in every part of our lives in every area of our lives you know when addiction is exposed freedom comes you know when uh, it, it just it does and so the thing about it is even with these young people's stories i mean i can tell you you know a middle school student i went in six schools uh i did in this one county 
in three days, I did six schools, and, and these kids would line up. I mean, I, and it's this is a broken record, honestly. And, and this one girl, she was in middle school. She said, "Miss Harrington," she said, "I today this morning went downstairs and got my dad's gun out of his gun cabinet. I took it upstairs and I hid it in my bedroom, and I'd made up my mind that today was my day that I was going to take my life." And and that girl said, "Miss Harrington, if you had not come today." I would not be here. That story, I could tell you story after story after story of young people that have contemplated suicide, attempted suicide, that have, you know, taken, that wanted to take their lives. I've had young people tell me, I can't, you know, I've been molested, my, I'm raped, I'm scared, I can't live in this house, I can't live in this situation, I just want to die, I just want to take my life. You know, parents, my parents are fighting over me, they're fighting over custody. You know, mother wants me, dad wants me, but I want to die because I don't want to have to choose between my parents. You know, we have a fatherless generation. Mississippi is ranked highest in the nation of fathers that do not live at home with our children. Now that's Mississippi, but it's all across the board. We have an issue of fatherless homes where if I can take out, see, that's a strategy of the enemy. That's a demonic plan of the enemy. Right. If I can take out that father, I can get in the family, get that child. And that's what we have to understand. And we have got to intercede and pray. And so that was Mrs. Pray, Mississippi. And really going into the counties and all the counties, mobilizing the people, mobilizing the churches, mobilizing the communities to come together, to not unite together for a time of prayer, to cover our students, to cover our church, to cover our schools and our superintendent of education and our principals to say, hey, we've got to pray. And you think about this, Maggie, what if every church, because we're from the South, we're the Bible Belt, right? right? What if every church, and there's thousands of churches, what if every church or even one out of 10 churches said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to decide today, this Sunday, we've got 10 schools within a 10 mile radius of our church. We're going to commit every single week. We're going to commit to pray for these schools. Just think what would happen if every church decided to pray for schools within a 10 mile radius, not only in Mississippi, but in Tennessee and Alabama, Missouri, Washington, uh, Kentucky, South Carolina, just think about that. What if a body came together and says, look, we're not going to allow this anymore. We're going to pray against this thing. We're going to pray for the younger generation. We're going to pray yeah. for awakening, a spiritual awakening, a revival in the land for the Lord to move and manifest his presence and to deliver and set the captives free. Think about that because the church has sat back. We have been complacent. We've sat on the back row of the church right. and we've done nothing. We've done nothing. I'm sorry. I'm so passionate about this but no. we rise up. it's time for the people to rise up it's time to quit playing the games of this one and that and competing here can't pray with this church you can't pray with that person this person that person we oh, gotta stop it stop <laughs> it let's unite together quit playing these stupid games and let's come together you got a generation of people that young people that are dying that the enemy is trying to sift out and take out and we we've got as the body of christ we've got to answer that call and that's the kingdom mandate he said sound the alarm and that's what god has spoken to me to do it is my job to sound the alarm this is what's happening to our young people people wake up 
wake up, sound the alarm, fast, pray, reach out, get, contact your principals, contact your superintendents of education, go to your schools, contact the teachers, contact and, and reach out and begin to pray and intercede for our young people. It is critical. Yeah. It is critical. Come on. That's awesome. That is awesome. You know, I'm incredibly passionate about it because I, you you hit something that I just want to uh, camp out at for a moment, if you will. You, you talked about the fatherless homes and we know that the attack of the enemy, whenever he can take out an instrumental person in leadership, it changes the dynamics. And I've done a lot of jail ministry over the years and you, you know, almost everybody in there, fatherless home. You know, yes. or an abusive father, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And, you know, the generations now, you know, we think about when we were in middle school. I've got I've got granddaughters that are in middle school this year. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, I know. Right. Makes me, I got one getting ready to graduate college next year. But oh. I know. Right. I don't I don't look it. But anyway, my granddaughters are facing things that most of us didn't face until high school. Now, I started substance abuse at a very young age. I was, you know, I start things started going south for me about in the fourth grade. And so but now I mean, that was unusual. OK, that was a, usually it's around seventh, eighth grade. When right. kids are really struggling, but we are seeing children now and I'm getting ready to do an entire series on uh, social media and how it's affecting the kids and the brain of the child and their self image and right. the pressure and suicide is a hot topic with these kids. They talk about it all, all the time. So talk about that, Patty, for a moment uh, with social media and some of the kids that you talk to, because I know you're out there in the trenches and you're talking to them and there is that level of, never measuring up in their brain that the enemy's coming and trying to reinforce to tear them down. Talk about that for a moment. Well, you know, especially when they get in middle school, middle school is the worst. I think the suicide yeah. really it's hitting the middle school students probably more than anything else. They have such, <coughs> excuse me. They have such a desire. They want to be accepted. They want to be affirmed. They put a post out on social media and they're constantly looking, how many likes do I have? How right. many likes? That like determines their value. Okay. <laughs> so if I've got a hundred likes, that means I'm valuable. If nobody liked my post, that means nobody cares about me and I'm not received or I'm not accepted. So in a lot of this, the, the bullying and everything that's happening on the social media, remember when we were younger, if there was bullying in school and we all have experienced bullying at some point, all, most every person has at some point in their life, especially when they were in the younger years. But you know, when we were younger, when we left school, we came home and that ended and we had the night and enjoyed our families. And, you know, and most of, you know, we we'd get up in the mo next morning and we felt refreshed and go back and go into the battle zone a lot of times. And so, but what happens with these young people through social media now, social media kids never get a break. It never stops. They're being bombarded daily from the time they get up in the morning. The first thing they do is check their phone. The first thing, how many people liked my post? How many people, you know, and constantly or someone makes fun of them and then the other people like it or either shunned in school or in the lunchroom or their, you know, kids will say, why don't you just kill yourself? I've had so many kids tell me like you, we don't care for you. Why don't you just go kill yourself? I had a, a friend that was uh, a psychiatrist was talking about these kids that were coming together in school and they would find, pick out a child, a young person. They that, 
that felt insecure, overweight, whatever, and they would pull them into their group and they would say, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're all going to kill ourselves. This is what we're going to do. This is the day we're going to do it. Yep. And are you in on it? Are you, are you committed to do this? Are you going right. to do this thing? And they would sit back and watch that young person kill themselves. I mean, there's so much and it. It's un and you think, God, how can this be? But I'm telling you, kids, uh, the forces of darkness that have that have bombarded our children through media, yes. media through music, yes. there's a thing called black metal. Yeah. I'm telling you, it is the darkest thing that you have ever listened to in your life. I never will forget God. I was researching lyrics. And so a lot of these kids listen to these lyrics. They go to bed. Suicidal ideology. And they put their earbuds in and they listen to all this music. And of course, most parents don't realize the kids. Oh, I'm not listening to the words. I'm only listening to the music. And, and a lot of parents have no clue because this music has gotten so out of control. So yeah. demonic. I mean, there are lyrics out there that talk about taking a knife, jabbing it in her. I mean, there, there are lyrics about school shoots, killings. There's lyrics about killing yourself. There's lyrics yeah. about cutting yourself. And these kids listen to that and they hear it over and over and over and it gets in their spirit what goes in comes out i'm that's it what you right. feed your spirit if you, right. if you sit there every single day and you open the door to pornography guess what it's going to get worse and worse and worse and it goes to go to a higher level it's going to get deeper and deeper and deeper and those things are real whatever you're feeding if you feed yourself the word of god guess what you're going to grow in the spirit you're right. going to get stronger in the spirit if you feed evil into your into your right. body mind evil is going to come forth you know so but these kids are being so bombarded by so many different avenues but social media snapchat needs to be completely if i had a young part a, a middle school students I, I would completely forbid any snapchat i would i think every, yeah, because it goes away it goes away you can't track it you know it's like snapping at you you're worthless you're no good why don't you oh you're no and parents don't know. And then yeah. there's no proof of it. Then they say, you know, they, they go tell a teacher, they tell their parent, and they say, well, they said this or they did this, and they put it out on Snapchat. And it's like, and they go in there and they're crying, they're all upset, they're in trauma, they're trying to get the help, but there's no proof. Well, it's deleted, it's gone. Once it, yeah. they see the snap, it's gone, unless someone actually screenshots it. And a lot of times the young people will. And they a lot of times would text that to their friends and make fun of these young people. But bullying, I mean, over 3 million young people are bullied every year. And bullying a lot of times leads to suicide. Absolutely, yeah. And that's why to me, it all boils down to when I was sitting on that sofa crying out, I would speak to these kids and come in my house. And I'm telling you, Maggie, I would sit there and just the, the stories that I would hear, I would just, my spirit would be so grieved and I would pray for those that I would encounter that day. Sometimes I'd have anywhere, you know, from 30 to a hundred kids line up and I would, I would most 90% of the time, unless school was getting out, I would sit there for hours talking to these children. But, you know, I would just come sit on my sofa and I would cry out to God and like, God, I, I would feel so inadequate. Like, how do I really make a difference? Lord, this thing is so big. There's so much going on with our young people. How do I really make a difference? And the Lord said to me one day, he said, Patty, he said, what you're doing, you're making a difference. 
You are. But the only true way you're going to make a difference in the younger generation is through prayer. Yeah. And when God awakened this thing. And Lord, you know, I'm just this radical, crazy intercessor and, and uh, already. And, and then when, you know, God, I'm just one of those. It's like when God speaks something to me, come hell or high water, I'm going to do it. If he says do it, I'm going to say, yes, sir, I'm going to do it. And it was just like when he said that to me. It really resonated in my spirit. I thought I could see it. I said, okay, God, I get it. I get it. I get it. And so that's the thing. So with awakening the people, sounding the alarm in the churches, going in the churches and speaking, talking to the pastors, talking to the leaders, talking to the community, talking, talking to the government, getting laws changed to protect our children. Yeah. Another thing that's, I mean, it's like there's so many different facets I had. <laughs> one lady prophesied over me one day and she said, she said, well, I just see you scaling mountains. You're going from the education mountain to the, uh, uh, you know, ministry mountain to you know, the governmental. It was like yeah. scaling back and forth. I and I've seen, that. Yeah. I've seen it happen. And so, you know, we, you know, with, with laws that need to be implemented that can protect our children. Do you realize even in Texas where this couple was divorced and she wanted her son to go from, was it a boy to a girl? Oh, no, a, she was a girl to a boy. And they wanted this child that was what, six years old, seven years old to transition to like become, to be able to transition at that urge. And the father was fighting that we need laws implemented in every state yeah. in this nation that can say, Hey, no, we're not going to tolerate that. We're going to make laws that say, no, if you live in the state of Mississippi, if you live in the state of Tennessee, if you live in the state of Washington, D.C., or you live in the state of Missouri, then no, you can, we're not going to allow it. South Dakota did bring this thing up. Um, but these laws need to be passed. There needs to be laws in social yeah. media that protect our children. So yeah. that's the governmental part of it is the prophetic word I've seen manifest right before my very eyes. So I can see a lot. And, you know, I'm just one woman that's just has a passion. You know, my deepest passion and heart is for not one person to ever have to bury a child. Right. If I can save one child, if I can make a difference, if I can do one thing to save one life, one life, one life is, is everything, but I can take countless lives have been saved. I can over and over and over. I can tell you, you know, it's just, but I'm, more people need to be reaching out. More ministries, more churches need to be reaching out and reaching the community, reaching these young people and doing inner healing and deliverance on these young people. I mean, these kids are broken. They're living in broken homes. They're living in situations that no child should ever have to live in. No child should ever have to endure, you know, but it's a time for the body of Christ to rise up and meet the needs uh, that are out there in, in the younger generation. You know, Patty, I, I've been dealing in messy ministry for a long time and it's not real favorable in the church, but some of the churches are becoming more aware about the need of it. I've worked with the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse in Tennessee and they believe the church is the answer. Uh, so on a, a governmental level, they're recognizing this, that there's power in the pews. So if you are a pastor and you're watching this, this is the time to have someone like Patty come speak, you know, come in and bring awareness because everybody says, and actually the series I'm working on, on the social media, the effects on the brain, what's doing to the kids and all of the, you know, how that works is literally called not my child because everybody tells me my child wouldn't do that. And I'm like, 
I, you know, don't be naive. Don't be naive because the mm -hmm. enemy does not discriminate. He is going after your children. He is going after the future leaders of the nation. And mm -hmm. uh, we have got to take a position of prayer and then protection of the kids. You know, we have to protect them. Uh, you know, if with this thing with pornography, I've, I've had kids as young as nine years old. Couldn't even tell me that, you know, define what I said. Do you feel like you're addicted? And he's like, I don't know what that means, but I would do anything to get my pad back. You know, and I'm like, you know, we have got an epidemic going on and they're walking around with, you know, computers, access to, you know, our parents would not have laid out Hustler and Playboy and all this on the table and said to, said to our kids, or, you know, not even said anything and just kind of been like, well, I hope they don't pick that up between the People magazine and the Life magazine. We would not do that. But, you know, when it comes to protecting of the children, it is going to take us being on our knees. It's going to take that breaking that spiritual aspect of it because it is demonic. And, you know, I've been harping on the music and the media and the video games and stuff for years. But yeah. people are like, it's not that big of a deal. And, you know, yes. it's mature, but my kid's really mature. And I'm like, listen. Wake up. Wake up. Yes. Wake up. Wake up. This thing right here, this thing right here, when a parent gives a child a phone, a parent, all they're thinking in their mind is I want to be able to keep tabs on my child, keep up with my child. A parent never even considers the fact that when they give a child a phone, a phone, that all they have to do is just type in the word naked women, naked men. Right. And you've got pornography, videos, just all at their, and they are, and kids are curious. Kids are curious. Sure, and the parents sure. say, oh, well, my child wouldn't do that. Well, my child wouldn't do that. Well, hello. If your child is a teenager, if your child's a middle school student, they are exploring. Their hormones are raging. Right. Right. Exploring. Yeah. And, you know, don't be naive. Don't be right. naive. And then that brings the shame and the guilt and the condemnation that mm -hmm. comes and that same spirit of suicide comes in when you start experiencing all of this, you know? So mm -hmm. listen, y'all, whether it is a chemical imbalance, whether it is a spiritual attack, regardless of what it is, it is taking the lives of our children. And I am grateful for people like Patty that are openly talking about this, you know, even though as, as painful as it was to lose Connor, you know, God is, you know, and there's that whole thing. And I'm just going to say it. Okay. This is something people don't like to talk about. And you alluded to it earlier. And you said people say all the time, you know, well, if you commit suicide, you don't go to heaven. But you, what is different than me mentally, okay, having an illness at momentarily, your brain, your, your mind, everything shifts in, in that one second where you make a bad choice, then having a physical ailment with your liver or your lung. Yeah or anything else, okay? So we've got to stop making people, we have got to start talking about this yes. and allowing people to understand. God doesn't want to see our children be lost. That's because it. And if you look at, uh, and I know I, I'm no theologian. I mean, I've studied the word of God. I know the word of God, but I know that, you know, there's a God of mercy and grace. And, you know, I know that Connor accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I know that. And but I do believe somehow, some way. And God gave me the scriptures, a foundational scripture of Firefly. And this is what he gave me was 
uh, Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Yes. Saves those who are crushed in spirit. Yes. When a person is getting to where they're or to the point where they can wrap a noose around their neck and they can hang themselves or they can physically take a gun and point that gun at their mouth. They're not a hundred percent. That's right. They're not a hundred percent. There's no way it would be like if, if a person had, there was a odd, a Christian that loved Jesus had a tragic car accident and they were paralyzed and they, they could not even speak again. They couldn't move again. And they were in the hospital and they ended up staying in the hospital for two weeks. And maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a preacher, but they, you know, looked at whatever they did a sin before they, you know, had time to confess it, you know, Hey, you know, and then they die. So God's mercy and grace is for those. I believe I know what God showed me and I've had that happen. So many people and, you know, and there's only one judge and that's the, that's yeah. the one judge. And, you know, we can't sit upon our thrones and judge and decide who we're going to think is going to be in heaven and who that's we think. Right. Come on. It's that all about religiosity and who we think, Oh wait, well, this and well that, well, you know, the fact of the matter is that God looks upon the heart. Yes. He sees the true intentions of the heart. Yeah. Man cannot see the heart. How can you judge a heart when you can't see it? God is the only one that truly sees what's inside a person's heart. And yeah. I believe that there's this thing that God already knows before the foundations of the world. Yeah. When they, each yeah, from the beginning. Just like Jeremiah, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. I call you, I predestined you, I knew you before the foundations of the world. Yeah. Yeah. I, you, I set you apart for such a time as this. He knew Jeremiah. He knew us before the foundations of the world. God is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He, he, know, he knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything. He knows why we're here. He knows that we have all been put here. Each one has a fingerprint. What I do in this earth, you can't do. That's not what God's called you to do. That's why there's so much competition in the church. There's so much nonsense in the church. You know, it's like, but look, if we would affirm one another, if we would yeah. love another we could receive one another yeah be there for one another and build each other up instead of tearing down and say well you know she and you know that and you know that and it goes on everywhere i don't care what state you i don't care what world you're living in, where you are it is <laughs> happening but this is a time to get serious this is time for the body of christ to wake up and on people let's get on the wall let's be like ne nehemiah let's build in yeah. one hand let's war with the other build and war build and fight <laughs> build and fight build and fight and that's what we're called to do so i'm going and i'm building and i'm going and i'm building i'm saving lives i'm reaching people going in churches going in schools wherever i can get an open door to speak but then i'm warring in the spirit we have a 3 a.m yeah. prayer call we've been doing for 70 something days we pray every morning at 3 a.m., Monday through Friday, and we're contending for this nation. We're contending. Yes. You know, can't sit back. Well, you know, well, my call is for the um, for the younger generation, but how can you, you know, but one, you can't pray for one without the other because the laws affect the younger generation. So we're going to say we do pray for the younger generation, but, hey, we got to get on the wall. We got to pray for our yes. president. We got to pray for laws that, that righteous laws for righteousness to rule and reign in our land where we can affect the younger generation, where we can change these laws to bring things forth to protect our young people. It's Come on. Critical.
It's true. You know, anything that is revealed from dark that is exposed to the light is transformed. It's changed. It and is. it's going to take people being real and people getting on their face and on their knees, you know, uh, the marching on our knees, going into the, to the, you know, tearing down uh, the forces of darkness with the light of God, whether you, wherever you are at, wherever you're going through, you have been impacted somehow by suicide. Like we said at the beginning of this broadcast, for some of you logged on, it's up 800% from last year. And it is, you know, the second leading cause of death among kids, you know, 10 to 14 and number one in California. And she was saying that in Williamson County, Tennessee, you know, my friend, Samantha DeGrasse, she took some girls out there. You know, Samantha, don't you? Uh, uh, maybe, I think so. She took some girls out to the Nat Chase Bridge and they put signs of hope all over the place. Oh my God. And no one, you won't know oh. if you do it. And they are just totally, you know, and her and I, we do a monthly broadcast called Bridge Forward because her ministry is Builder a Bridge and mine is Moving Forward. And we talk about topics like this all the time. So Patty, I want to thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Your time this morning. And I know we've gone way over. We've gone, we've gone 30 minutes over. Oh, well. It was the Spirit of God. We needed to preach up in there this morning. We need people to understand that lives can be changed only two ways. If we pray and protect. Yes. And you have got to start praying. Maybe you don't have kids, but you've got nieces, nephews. Do you not care about humanity? Coming together in the spirit realm. Setting aside our differences. I don't care if you're Methodist or Pentecostal. I don't care. You have to pray. We all have that in common. And that is what Patty's doing. So, Patty, real quick, I know, you know, we're way over time. Uh, but I know because I used to be involved with the National Day of Prayer. And you are now. Tell us about your role with the National Day of Prayer in Mississippi. I'm just the capital coordinator here in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, God opened that door for me. And I love it. And I'm uh, part of uh, Cindy Jacobs' ministry as well. Uh, you know, just really seeking the heart of God. But I would just challenge, I want to say this one thing. Uh, I would just challenge each and every person to share this video, number one. Number two, to bring awareness, to talk about these issues. And to number one is to, to get on your knees. Get on your knees and ask God, God, what is my part? Yes. What can I do? How can I pray? What can I do to help impact young people? These are the future of our generation. This, this is our future. You know, we're older. When we get older, I mean, they're coming forth and we've got to, to really pray and intercede because these are future, they're future pastors, future evangelists and, and, and people in ministry that God has wanted to use mightily. There's going to be a, an amazing awakening and what God is going to do in this land. But we have every major awakening. If you look at all the past revivals, all of these were, were founded in prayer. I mean, you look at Fulton Street Revival, which impacted millions of people. And yet Jeremiah Lanfear, I always think about him. I love him. I think here was this businessman. Here was this man. And he was just went and he started, they put out 20,000 flyers in New York City. And the first day he sat down in his, in his room and he's sitting there for 45 minutes. Nobody's showing up. And he's like, well, God, did I, you know, and, and, but he's sitting there. He's like, okay. But then six men showed up and that six men turned into 6,000 yeah. and that's, 
6,000 turned into 60,000. Then it ended up going all over the world and how it impacted people. So that's how prayer is like a flame of fire. And if you can ignite that flame of fire, if you can reach out, come into agreement, go into your churches, go to your pastor and say, hey, we want to start a prayer meeting in our church. We want to start a time that we can come together and pray for our young people. Yeah. You do that. Even just at night, wake up, pray for your young people, pay for your schools, pray for your churches, yes. pray for the youth in your churches and just wake up. I mean, there's time's wasting. I mean, it's like we got to get serious. It's time to awaken, awaken the sleeping giant, as I always say. Ooh. Glory. glory, glory to God. I just feel like I've been to church. <laughs> I'm sorry. The Lord told me one day, he said, stop apologizing for being so radical. I said, okay. Yeah. Sorry, here I am. <laughs> no, no, I get that too, Patty. And listen, we have to be true to what the Spirit of God is saying in our lives. So for if you are watching this broadcast, like Patty said, share it out. Get it into the hands of someone. They need to know that there is something that they can do to make a difference. And, you know, I just want to I want to thank you for being so open and transparent because that is how lives are changed. You know, whenever we are real and we are people, it gives people permission to be real. And they start to really look at things and go, you know what? You know, I'm going to start researching this. I'm going to start being aware of this. I'm going to start, you know, going to the carpool early and spending time outside of the school praying. It stirs things and so forth. You know, I'm here in a cabin getting ready to do a shutdown. I got one more broadcast to do tomorrow, and then it's just me and Jesus. And, uh, you know, so sad. My, I told my granddaughter, I said, honey, I've got to go away. I've got to go meet with Jesus. And she goes, you're dying? And I'm like, no, baby. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to hang out with Jesus. I've got to go have Aww. a long time. But, the reality is, is that as we pray, things shift in the spirit realm and, you know, it makes a huge difference. So if you can get anything else, you know, that, and I always ask people at the end of the broadcast, if I, if you could leave them with one key, what would that key be, Patty? Uh, I, I would like to speak to someone that feels hopeless, uh, that feels like they have no future and no hope. But God says in Jeremiah 29, 11, that the Lord knows the plans that he has for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope in the future and that God is there. He's waiting on you and God is a great plan for your life. And sometimes you just have to you have to just lay those things aside. And as I was telling um, Maggie earlier today, it's like, you know, I always kept these rocks on my mantle and even those rocks to pick up that rock, that one rock on your mantle and lay it there in your hand and look at it. And that care, he says, cast your cares upon me for I care for you and take that rock and lay it on that altar, lay it on that mantle, lay it there and give your cares to him for God will perfect everything that concerns you. He will work everything together for your good according to Romans 8, 8 28. And I just, I can I pray real quick? Yes. Okay, Father, I just, Lord, I just praise yes. you, God. Father, I just pray for each and every person that is struggling, Lord God. Each and every person, Father, that feels like they have no hope, God. That feels like, Lord, that never, nothing ever works out for them, Father. Lord, I just pray, God, that you would surround them by your mighty angels, oh God. That you would encamp around about them, oh God. Father, I pray that you would visit them, oh God. That you would awaken their spirits. That you would draw them to yes. you, Holy 
spirit of God. Father, that you would woo them, Father, that you would perfect everything that concerns them, oh God. That, Father, that you would lead God and direct their paths, oh God. That, Father, that you would remove every hidden work of darkness. You would move and remove everything out of their life, Lord, that doesn't need to be there, Father God. That, Lord, that you would bring them to, to that place of forgiveness and that place of complete submission to you, Father. Lord, that we would lay ourselves on your altar, Father God. And, Father, I just pray, Lord, that your kingdom come, your will be done, will be fully manifested in their lives, oh God, that you would bring them to a place of true joy and true happiness and contentment in you, Father. And we praise you and give you the glory, the honor, and the praise that is due you this day. And we worship you. We glorify your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Well, listen, for those of you that stayed on till the end, uh, you have some church and some prayer. Get this into the hands of someone. I would. Patty's bio is in the chat stream, so you can go and read about her ministry. Read about what she's doing. If you are a pastor, have her come speak to your youth. If you are an educational uh, system, get her in to talk to your kids. Because listen, kids resonate with this. They talk about this, and they're looking for an adult who's willing to be real about it. And let them know that it just doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Patty, I want to thank you. I appreciate you so much. I miss you. I'm so glad that God is using you in Mississippi and all over the nation. But here in Tennessee, we love you and, uh, and miss you. And I know that we'll have to do a broadcast again. God bless you guys. Thank you for logging on. Uh, make sure you reach out and check out Patty's ministry, Fireflies ministry. God bless you guys.